This is a show about the technology category that has quickly captured the world's attention and imagination. We sit down with some of the smartest and savviest business leaders and technologists to unpack what the rise of generative AI may mean for you and your business. I'm your host, Ryan Kurt. Welcome to the AI Lab. In this episode, you'll hear from Guy Levy-Urista, an accomplished executive with deep experience across science, technology, and business, and a PhD in physics from the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. With 25 years of experience in rapidly changing markets from Fortune 500s to startups, Guy's superpower is finding product market fit for technical innovations. Most recently, as CEO at Synthase, a life sciences R&D cloud company that is accelerating biological discovery by empowering scientists to run smarter and faster experiments. Hey, Guy, how's it going? Good, Ryan. How are you doing? Good. One of my favorite people to talk to. It's been almost three years probably since we talked. I know, I know. Well, what was it? It was a bar somewhere with a good uh, glass of three or whiskey, I think. Yeah, you were the bigger company, so you expensed um, some very nice bourbon, I think, at a Gartner at a Gartner conference. That's right. That's right. I want to get into sort of this whole podcast is about generative AI and, and helping business leaders kind of de- demystify this market explosion because I think there was kind of a slow ramp up a lot of early adopters, but the rest of the market has now become awakened to a lot of the stuff that you and I knew was happening, but the majority of people yeah. didn't really know. So I think the first question for you is, uh, you know, as an analytics company at your last job, you were kind of the early adopter champion of generative AI, right? At SciSense. What did you learn from that? And just like kind of walk through how you approached that problem. Cause it, it was a brand new thing, but you had like a really clear framework and structure and point of view on how to do it, which I think that's the piece that most companies are struggling with is like, what's the framework for assessing and deploying and testing this stuff? Yeah. So I'm an Uber techie and and I've done so much technology in my career. One of the biggest realizations I had a few years back, probably a decade ago, is that technology is meaningless unless it has an impact directly or indirectly on human life. We're we're living in a human-centric world. So When you're about to deploy new technology, you don't do it just because it's cool or because, all right, I'm going to play around with stuff just because for the hang of it. You're doing it because can it really service my customers? Can it provide my customers, my users, some significant benefits? So I remember back in the day, I was with Sysense, you were with Narrative Science, and we were looking at your technology. I remember looking at it, it says, wow, this could be really interesting could provide our uh, user the ability to expand or democratize the the usage of insights, not just of data. Everyone's talking about democratization of data, but it really is about insight. Data is useless unless people derive insight from it. And what I loved about what you guys did, and probably too early for the market, what you did is that you took the data, you took the graphs, you took the, all the charts and all the analysis that the smart people, the business analysts put in place, and you actually explained that in human language, what it really means. Sort of a very early emanation of generative AI. Now, you guys stepped forward with APIs. We implemented them. It was great. We would give it to customers. Customers loved it. They, they, they integrated them. But it was early days. It seems like one of your headlines here is, before you do any sort of technology investment or testing, don't start with like, what can this solution do? Let's go find a problem. Go the other way and say, I have a thesis that this could actually make my users have better businesses, make them smarter, help them move faster. Like, let's test to see if we can have that impact. 
And then this technology might be a way to do that, but don't start at the technology and work backwards. So can you maybe just like hit on that a little bit? Because I think that's a huge insight. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's part of a bigger even strategy uh, in product design and product strategy. You should have a, a vision in your mind's eye. What would the world look like in five years, 10 years, when the technology that, that you're espousing becomes prevalent and, and really impactful? With that in mind, take those new tools and play with them. Let me see what happens. Let me put it in, in users' hands and explore and see how they make use of it and what is the use that they uh, derive, what's the benefit they derive from it. And then what happens, which is always the case and is always fascinating to me, was users come up with completely new use cases. We have an ex a, a fathomed before, but those are the ones that guide you. Uh, people talk about customers know what they want, but but they don't know what they need. Or, you know, that, that story about Ford, say, if, if I'd given customers what they want, I'd give them faster horses rather than the front. It may sound patronizing. I, I would look at it more along the lines of, let me play with, with the technology to see if I can drive my thesis as to where the world is headed and have that technology deliver that, provide that. And, and that's sort of the big framework that I keep in mind mm -hmm. all the time. You're obviously very technologically savvy as, as a CEO, but I know you also have a technology team. This new capability around ChatGPT and, and large language networks, that they're just so easy to use, right? So before the AI strategy was tended to be driven by you'd hire an external consulting firm or your CTO or CIO would be driving that strategy, bringing PowerPoints and ideas to the CEO. I feel like it could be flipped now where it's so easy to use, where the CEOs are now the ones that they understand their business problems better than anybody. And they have more at stake than anybody at the company to drive success. And so how do you think about that dynamic where if you're developing a strategy for your company and industry with AI in mind, should it be driven starting with the CEO and then you bring in the tech team to kind of like help test and deploy? Or, or how does that kind of marriage work now? Because I feel like that dynamic might be changing internally. Yeah. So it really also depends on the culture of the company. One of the things we're really proud of with Synthase, my current company, is that we created a uh, very egalitarian flat organization that empowers users to be able to truly come up with ideas. So in a way, I look at it not as a linear process where the CEO drives that or the CTO drives that or the, or the CPO uh, drives initiative. It's much more about discussion and getting it from all directions. ChatGPT is, is a good example, but I, I will tell you, um, Previous role, we already started deploying neural networks for big databases many, many years ago, five, six years ago. I remember playing with a small tool. There was a small company called SwiftKey that Microsoft ended up buying, which was creating a, a keyboard for cell phones. And that was the, the very beginning of a sort of a jet GPT because they would suggest the next word. I actually still use it on my iPhone. It would still suggest when I start typing, so all right, the next word you may want to use is this and this. So I did an experiment, which I presented to the team at the time. I just fired it up, and, and all I did was always click the, the word it suggested. I didn't apply any thought. So it's just let me suggest it. It's pretty much a GPT basic version with temperature that basically 1.0. It's like very basic element. It's a stochastic parrot that, that just has the one word that it's going to follow. Uh, it actually created sentences that were completely coherent and could be seen as if they came from it. Now, 
that's one example, neural networks that we deployed to do deep data analysis, where we really saw significant capabilities. So we, we played with it, we brought it to the CEO. The CTO came up with his ideas, head of lab came with their ideas. So there was a lot of interaction. I mean, and today uh, in, in Syntax, my uh, engineers is now writing scripts on our platform with ChatGPT, doing a lot of back and forth trials. What we're delivering is a life sciences R&D platform for drug discovery in an early stage. We're building now entire experiment platforms uh, for entire biological workflows. You can do it manually. You can do it with templates. You can do it with machine learning. And now we're also doing it in a lab with ChatGPT. So everyone is playing with it. Our engineers, software engineers are, are beginning to play with coding, ChatGPT coding. The biologists are playing with, with science creation using it. It's, it's beautiful to see. And, and what's, what's beautiful, look, we're at the beginning of a, a true and truly amazing revolution in terms of what this will be able to accomplish and achieve for us all. And so it's a coming. We, we see it coming. It's clear. And everyone's amazed by, by the current version and, and version five is, is now coming soon or already in beta. Imagine version 20. Uh, imagine version 50. This is where this is going. It's going to be pretty amazing. You've mentioned some things about life sciences, and I've had people that I used to work with that have already approached me kind of saying, you know, what have you seen from other clients? Like, what's going on here? So I'd love to, love to hit on a bit deeper where you see generative AI going for life sciences. And then I think just more broadly, uh, there's like this hype cycle framework, right, of technology almost always follows the same framework. And, and one observation I have with this so far with ChatGPT is like every time you think you're about to tip over and go down, something else comes out. It's almost like they know <laughs> we're about to get to the trough of disillusionment. Hold on. You can now integrate into ChatGPT or, oh, here comes GPT-4. So but maybe let's hit on the life sciences piece first, and then we'll kind of close out with maybe kind of in your mind, when's the real impact going to hit? Yes. Well, actually, let me start uh, from my motivation to shift into life sciences. So again, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that every five years on average shifts industries. I'm a big believer in making the right decision for the wrong reasons. So I ended up doing a PhD in physics because I wanted to drink wine in France. So I studied French and ended up staying in Israel doing the, the PhD there because I met the girl. Soon it's going to be 25th anniversary. Long story. But the, uh, the short version is this. A few years ago, I started looking at life sciences as the next area of disruption that's going to emerge in front of us. The 20s are by far going to be dominated by life sciences accomplishments. The COVID pandemic actually accelerated the timeline, showing us that we can deliver vaccinations in record time, deploying new technologies with mRNA vaccinations. We can get things to market in a safe manner very quickly. And so it's very impressive to see that. And so what's beginning to happen now is sort of the collision of two galaxies, the technology galaxy and the life sciences galaxies. And now what you, you begin to see, and I'm an early adopter, so I, I identify patterns early. I moved from technology into life sciences a couple of years ago. We begin to see more and more tech executives and tech talent moving to the life sciences environment. And they shift over because they see the amazing potential. Look, people talk about that, that by the end of this decade, most of cancer will become chronic disease uh, that can be resolved. There are other inventions that are now happening. But as far as AI goes, the real proof 
that AI can really make a difference, especially in drug discovery happening in actually at the beginning of 2020, when the first ever AI designed drug molecule uh, entered human clinical trials. Now, it takes a long time to, to get drug to market, up to 15 years. It could be up to two and a half billion dollars. The IRR, it continues to drop. People talk in life sciences of the opposite of Moore's law, where, you know, the capacity of, of CPUs doubles every 18 months. Here, we have what we call E-room law, the, the reverse of the letters of Moore into E-room. So E-room's law in life sciences is that the cost doubles every 18 months. And so what happens now is that it becomes borderline unproductive to, to develop new drugs. But in 2020, AI started really kicking in and, and you got that very first early molecule going into human trials and then protein folding um, and then un understanding uh, phase one clinical trials going into that, into designing new synthetic biological pathways and understanding drugs and designing drugs. So all in all, this is amazing. And people started deploying neural networks and AI into different aspects and generating new drugs, new, new cures, new processes that could really make a difference. The interesting part about that, and, and I'll be a bit blunt here, it's too easy to think that this is the way it needs to be done. Uh, or I'll say differently, people are looking for the key under the street lamp. It's like, yeah, sure, deploy AIs there. I'm not saying it's easy what they've done. It's actually hard. But it's easy because that's the first thing, the first place you'll go when you're trying to uh, to accomplish that. And if that's the first thing you're headed, uh, then that's the first place we'll see benefit. But what we are pursuing, for example, in Synthase, and it's not about self-promotion, but just as a, as a matter of, of thinking, the thesis, the thesis that we have is, yeah, finding new drugs is important, but where we should really deploy AI is generating new science, is designing new experiments, building platforms where pretty much the, the way I write, you submit proposals or I, I write notes by stating what I have in mind, typing it into the ChatGPT box and get some information that looks like that, we're now playing in the lab in a situation where we will tell a scientist, what is your intent? So intent would be, I want to test this and that in that framework. That's it. The system then designs actually 10 different variations for how would you would run in, in that experiment. And it would tell you, you can, you can optimize it against this parameter or that parameter. You can optimize against cost against resolution, against quality, against time. What are the chances of failure? What are the chances of success? And then the scientist then spends their time thinking about, all right, what kind of science would I like to make rather than what are the minutia that I need to bother myself with? And so that's already working in our labs. That it, it is like mind boggling when I see it. We're not ready yet to give it to customers. But we will expose it to, to what I call friendly customers soon enough for them to play with it. But that, that's the amazing thing, because it's not about recording yet another experiment or helping design, which is what we do today. We, it's amazingly popular and, and we're growing like gangbusters, but it's the next level.
where generative AI basically allows the scientists to design their science. Declare your intent. The same way you go to a search engine and say, my intent is to find this solution. Think of a science platform or a digital experiment platform, digital science platform that allows you to say, I want to find out this kind of parameter that optimizes against this target under these conditions. And we design the experiment with you and for you. For your industry, there's been like this natural bottleneck of throughput, right? Where it's just, it just takes so dang long for various reasons. Like you have to do a lot of prep work. You have to find candidates to be part of the trial. There's all this regulation and all the paperwork that you have to do before, during, and after. If, if you can provide solutions to sort of take a lot of that like minutia kind of off people's plates, are, are we now going to see a world where because the d demand for solving these problems is only going to go up, right? Like chronic disease is only going to become more prevalent. Population's going up. The supply of money and the people going to continue to increase as, as long as the demand is there. But what you're saying is like this middle layer of like, how do we actually get all this stuff done? We're almost now going to see potentially a scaling of resources that might not necessarily be tied to like finite resources, like people and hard material. Now a lot of this could be done digitally. How, how much additional scale and leverage, just a guess, are we now going to be like, Hey, 20% more efficient, or is this, are we seeing like orders of magnitude type changes in the coming years? So I'll say this, the funny thing is it's already here. We currently service 10 of the top 20 big pharma. It's very rare for a startup to have that roster of customers and they're growing like that crazy. Our net retention rate was 170% last year. It's like we're really growing fast with them. One of them, let's say top five, I won't name names, even though they already talked about it out there. But one of them uh, took our system. They're what I consider a friendly customer. They took six drug candidates that they, they just didn't know how to progress them. And within a quick campaign of four months, all six of them just shifted forward, saving probably half a year, a year to market on each one of them. That's hundreds of millions of dollars just by using a platform that handles that. And that's like early days machine learning. We're not even at the stage where you really are doing it. So if I'm looking at it, combine that with next generation sequencing, full DNA sequencing, true AI power, personalized medicine, and you will be getting your own cure that is tailored to you. By the end of the decade, it, this, this will be it. And it will happen in a matter of hours, maybe days. But that's it. This would be the solution. We're looking at something completely different. This is a uh, an internet moment when the internet embarks on stage, gets on stage. Everyone remembers when's the first time they logged in. This is it. This is what we're seeing with AI and machine learning now with generative AI. Seems like so much of the development and the deployment of this type of AI, like it's been happening. Like this is... It's new because of the breakthroughs and the fact that we've crossed a threshold, right, of usability. But so many people want to come in and say, like, can't do X, Y, and Z. It's not going to be able to do that. It's going to fail at this. For sure, there's going to be limitations. But I, my theory is I, I think we've kind of entered a different game where this is not a typical technological breakthrough where we're going to hit this huge peak. Um, which we're probably not even at the peak of expectations, but like, I don't necessarily think the drop-off is going to be as extreme because what's changed now is not the technology as much as the public's consciousness of it. Because GPT, ChatGPT, 
yes, there is a language model breakthrough, but like the bigger thing is like they just made a chat app that's easy to use. They just put a wrapper around it that now people are becoming aware of what was already there. So like how much disappointment are we going to see as a society in the next couple of years versus are our expectations going to continually be exceeded? Like how, how do you kind of see that playing out? Yeah, so we need to de- to separate two aspects here. From a society perspective, be prepared to be blown away. Blown away. This is like we're just at the start of the damn thing. It's it's unbelievable what, what's going to happen. Now, I'm an optimist by nature, but heck, this is amazing. This is really, really going to be amazing. The second thing we need to remember is this. Investors, when they identify a new trend, they pile, they pile in. They, they just go in hard. So we are going to see, and we're already beginning to see, a lot of money moving into the field, and it will be over-invested in the next few years. So yes, the hype cycle, as far as the companies involved, yeah, we, we will see a big hype. We're not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. We'll see a big hype. Then a lot of them will fall off the cliff, and then we'll go the, into the, the plateau of a uh, enlightenment. But from a user perspective, we're just beginning to see. We will not be disappointed. We, if anything, we'll be wowed. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I had a discussion. I still remember sitting in some hotel room in the middle of nowhere talking to our head of content and telling him, look, we're going to see something called shades, a shade, which becomes your personal Assistant, think of uh, on a Alexa that is completely tailored to you and that interacts with you and, and becomes your agent that operates online on your behalf by representing relevant parts of your psyche, psychology, personality online. And so all you need to tell them, look, I feel like going on vacations to the Caribbean during these dates. Just find me the best deal. You know what I like. Let me know where and when and, and I'm done. And let them negotiate with the shade of the hotels, multiple resorts, find the best deal, find the best flights, get me all sorts of extra stuff so that my vacation is perfect, including experimenting with stuff I haven't done before. So those shades are, are coming, but that's just the beginning of sort of a, if you want the people talk about digital twins in life sciences, we create a digital version of your real life lab online. Think of a, a digital twin of yours it's represented by this AI capability out there that lives and breathes online and, and operates on your behalf, as an example. So we're just beginning to scratch the surface in terms of what we'll, we will be able to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic like you because I think there's so much in life that, you know, it, it sucks that you have to do. And it's like all the minutia, like, you know, you, you mentioned you have three little girls. I love my little girls. I have three like you do. But there's just so much in the daily life that gets in the way of, you know, just enjoying every moment. And it's like, I got to go do that thing, or I've got to log in and do this. Just imagine to take all the stuff that's non-value tasks and have my, my virtual twin take care of that for me. How does that change my relationships? How does that change my outlook on life and how much more present I can be in the current moment, knowing that someone else is taking care of better than I could everything else. And I just, I'm very optimistic that, you know, what's going to start to differentiate between person A and person B on how far they get in life. It's just ambition, motivation, optimism, like just the the core skills they have, your lot in life. And like when you started, like that becomes less important when you've, you've got this thing to kind of break through these barriers for you. I agree. The shape of society is going to change significantly. I, I think and believe and hope 
because of that. And it's like, uh, yeah, we can create a flatter world because of this kind of technology. It's like, be more human. I mean, you guys, narrative science, you wrote a book, let your people be be people, right? And, and it's like, let human beings be human and not slaves to the day-to-day instead of taking time to think and ponder and consider an experience, we're busy. Get rid of the busy. Yeah. All this development and the economies we've built, all this technology we've built, like in a lot of ways, it's just created a lot more distraction and work. We've now gotten to a point where we hopefully will have something to kind of manage a lot of that on our behalf. So that, like you said, we can get back to just kind of being a true form of ourselves. So Look, I, I, I love talking to you. Uh, like I said in my note to you, you've been a great mentor and helper to me, even, you know, kind of in the, the small amount we've had to work together. But uh, I would love to talk to you again on a regular basis because I, I think this world's changing super fast. And I think your your brain has been living in the future for a long time. And so a lot of what's happening is super scary and super disorienting to a lot of people. But I think you've been seeing this already for at least a decade. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel very comfortable. For me, it's like finally, oh, finally what yeah. took so long? Huh? Welcome to the party. Yeah, so I, I just I want to I want to thank you, guy, and and I want to just invite you back again because I would I would love to keep this uh, ongoing conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Be- best of luck, um, therefore, and always happy to chat. A, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AI Lab podcast. If you are a business leader trying to better navigate the world of generative AI, connect with us on social and at the AILab.ai. You'll find more content and conversations in both places. See you next time.